Coming up on Golf Today, the X-Man and the Iceman get a team win in NOLA, carrying their Ryder Cup mojo to the Zurich Classic. Will either or both take some momentum forward? And NASA takes off in Los Angeles, winning the DO Implant LA Open by five. Wait till you hear what inspired her to such a big-time win in the City of Angels. And stories to feel good about. A father and son making the cut on the PGA Tour and a birdie barrage leads to an emotional hometown win. Settle in. It's a happy Monday on Golf Today. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. Golf Today on a Monday, Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch of Golf Week Magazine. I have missed this desk. I was in South Florida last week, pal. My boys were playing tennis. I played some golf my second round of the year. I typically text my wife when I make a birdie. No text messages went to the wife. No birdies. I was shut out. Surprised? I'm not particularly surprised. I actually, I would argue you're only on that golf course because you can no longer actually beat your kids in tennis because they would true. whip you on the tennis court <laughs> This as well. is all true. Let's talk about some guys who made a lot of birdies in the Eagles' final round of the Zurich Classic of New Orleans. Did you get to watch it? Some fantastic action down in Louisiana. These two studs, Patrick Cantlay and Xander Schauffele. This is the seventh hole, the par five, seven wood for the UCLA Bruin. 254 wow. yards. Watching this closely, and it ends up close. Seven feet, eight inches. Fantastic shot. They've kind of running in place the first six holes. This was kind of the shot to get things going. Xander now trying to cash it in for Eagle. This is called hamming and egging. That got them to 31 under par. Absolutely. At this point, cruising. Saw them pair together so nicely at the President's Cup and the Ryder Cup. It's something to hold off Billy Horschel, who won as a soloist in 2013, won with Scott Piercy in 2018. His second from 104 yards at 10. This is the Fiery Floridian, three feet, five inches. That made them get to 27 under par, four back at the time. Yeah, closing fast. Now Xander, the par putt from eight feet. Gonna touch that left edge. Not half, he drops to 30 under, only three shots ahead of Horschel and Burns. And here he is on the 10th from 126 yards. Second shot to the par four. Just not what you want. You're feeling maybe a little bit of pressure. He short sides himself right. Not the place to miss it. So yeah, deep breath, exhale. 11th hole, Billy Hole. He's trying to capitalize here on the par five. He smells blood in the water as the leaders are stumbling. Third shot from the front green side bunker. They'd make birdie, get to 29 under par. I love seeing it. I want to see a little bit of action. And, and who smiles more in New Orleans than Billy Horschel, where he got his first PGA Tour. And now back to Xander on the 10th. That's a par putt from six feet. So now the lead is down to one. It's a little bit nervous time, Eamon. And here we are in the next, very next hole. Xander, a long putt from Eagle, just short of the green. Yeah, and they were taking on water at this point. This was a beautiful lag putt. Gets it close. They make birdie get back to 31 under, just two ahead. Now, this key moment, Sam Burns, 16th hole, par four. This is water left. They call it a penalty area these days. That green is reachable, but it's not reachable from there. Long conversation ensued with the officials there. They took the drop, trying to save par. Beautiful. Pitch shot, 
They'd say Far remained two back, but that was a crucial, crucial moment. They're now the 17th hole. This is Sam Burns after Billy missed the green. Is that one well short? They'd make bogey. Drop the three back. Yeah, and then you have Patrick Cantlay after Xander missed the green. Well, short game, but just won't quit. That's why he's number five in the world. Yeah, hits that to a foot. They would save par. A pretty comfortable walk up the 18th. This is short putt for bogey. Xander Shoffley. He's got a big smile. These kids known each other for quite a long time growing up in Southern California. 29 under is the winning score. Two-shot win over the law firm of Porschel and Burns. Terrific week for Doc Redmond and Sam Ryder as well. Let's hear from the champs. Can, can you put into words, I guess, how this is different, winning this together as opposed to your individual wins? Well, I felt like I did half half as much work as a usual win, so uh, I probably won't be as tired tomorrow. I mean, Xander played great all week. I think uh, anytime you can share, you know, success, I think that makes it just a little sweeter. And so uh, similar to a President's Cup or a Ryder Cup, winning a match uh, and then winning both the cups that we've played in together, uh, it just adds it adds to it. It makes it a little more, uh, like I said, a little, a little sweeter because, you know, shared enjoyment and shared successes is just that much better. Is it an assumption we should make that you'll be playing those team events together pretty much every time and not splitting the deal up ever again? <laughs> I mean, that's up to the captains. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll take it one at a time. Um, if you can get DL3 on, on the horn, he'll, he'll let you know. <laughs> let them play. Don't mess with this partnership. You look at the career comparison. A lot of similarities between the 30-year-old Cantlay and 28-year-old Xander Shoffley, two sons of Southern California, 12 tour wins between them, 17 runner-up finishes, similar in top tens, cuts made, a tour championship apiece, each on the list, I think, of best players without a major championship. So 29 under, able to get it done, Eamon Lynch. What was your biggest takeaway from this win by these two esteemed players? To me, it was striking that just how in sync these guys actually are with each other, and it's not just the career resume that we're looking at there, even if you break down their game statistically, they kind of hit the ball the same distance. They hit about as many greens and as many fairways as each other uh, during the course of a round. And they were one of the few teams in the field who had, had a really good combined rank in mm. birdie average on the PGA Tour because a lot of statistics don't necessarily translate very well into team play. Yeah. But the frequency with which a guy makes birdies does translate particularly when we're talking about the four ball rounds. And, you know, Xander Shoffley's 13th on tour in birdie average, Patrick Cantley is fifth. That's a pretty big combination in, in a format like this, and it proved to be so. It's been fun to watch this partnership blossom from their amateur days to the President's Cup to the Ryder Cup. We're going to bring in Paige McKenzie, who joins us on this Monday. I know you watch very closely. You watch their body language. You watch <laughs> their, their club choice, their, how simpatico, simpatico they were. What was your chief takeaway, though, from the win? Yeah, I agree with Eamon, and they just seemed to fit together really nicely. I mean, it was down to the body language. Uh, there were a couple moments yesterday and uh, through the weekend that you saw them, and they just seemed to be literally in sync uh, as, as they were walking. But I, I think it does go back to the reason that they became 
friends that they point to was the fact that they were partnered together because of all the similarities with their golf game. And that's not always the case um, with players. You, you, you don't have to have similar games to be great partners, but in this case, uh, it's worked out very well. Who needed this win more? Oh, I in think it was Xander okay. needed the win more. I mean, Patrick Cantley is just coming off a playoff loss last week uh, to Jordan Spieth at the RBC Heritage. Xander had been three years removed from his last win at the century. And I think, to Paige's point, what's really worth pointing out here is in, in team format in four balls, anybody can get hot. I think when you're playing alternate shot, yeah. that's a real test of how well two guys meld with each other in terms of disposition, in terms of games, in terms of attitude. They are now undefeated in, in foursome play, in alternate shot between a Ryder Cup and a President's Cup. And now they've obviously played pretty well here in two alternate shot rounds at the Zurich Classic. So if you're Davis Love at the mm. President's Cup, you're Zach Johnson at next year's Ryder Cup, you're already penciling in these guys as your anchor match. Do you agree with Eamon Page that uh, Xander needed this win even more than Patrick Cantlay? Without question. Yeah, and I think he even acknowledged uh, after the round in his post-round interview, he said, you know, I haven't been in this position for a while, and Patrick helped keep me calm because he is such a calming presence. Uh, I think, you know, when you look back at, at Xander Shoffley and some of the Sundays that he's had, I think you can look, and he would say he's left strokes on the table. He hasn't finished off golf tournaments the way that he's wanted to. So the fact that he was able to do that yesterday, was able to hit the shots that he wanted to when he needed to, and then get over that hump. Uh, you have to deal with the, the emotions and the, the nerves at the time, and to have somebody by your side that believes in you and what you're doing um, certainly, I think, obviously helped Xander, but I think he's going to take away the most mm from this event of the two of them. You could just see how comfortable they were. You know, they say a good team, you know, you never have to say you're sorry to your teammate. And this duo first teamed up in 2019. We talked about it at the President's Cup uh, at Royal Melbourne. They played very well for the captain. You recall who that was, folks? Tiger Woods. They went 2-2-0 two two in their rookie appearance. The tight 16-14 victory for the U.S. over the internationals. And, of course, you know, why even mess with the duo? September Whistling Straits, U.S. Ryder Cup captain Steve Stricker put the two friends together, and they went even better, 2-0-0 in defeating Rory McIlroy, Ian Poulter, 5-3 and in foursomes, then took down Lee Westwood and Matt Fitzpatrick, 2-1 and in foursomes, part of a 19-9 blowout win over Europe. And then, Paige, you talked about their body language seeming to mimic one another, how they walk, <laughs> the pace of their walk, the way they carry their clubs, and you noticed that as well. It's amazing. I mean, this is like, you couldn't ask for a better tempo walk, think, play golf the same way. Uh, I, I got a kick out of watching the two of them in those moments where it just seemed like they were clicking together so well. That's you know strike you as well. I hadn't really noticed it during the broadcast, but when Paige brought it up, I was like, yeah, that's a, that's a great point to get. Even their cadence seems the same. Even in the the press conference that we played just a little bit ago, their 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 the timbre of their voice seems similar. The pace of their walk, and clearly the way they think about this game. Yeah, and these are two guys who went on holiday together in in Napa on a wine right. tasting tour last year as well. They're clearly very comfortable. In each other's presence and to me that is the, your baseline 
for a team that's going to work. If they're uncomfortable in each other's presence, and we, which we tend to see more in a Ryder Cup than here, guys can choose their own partner here. And I, I would actually like to see more guys choose partners here mm. that maybe are out of the comfort zone a little bit, just to see how it might work in future international team competitions. A little more experimentation, a little less familiarity, but certainly these guys work on both of the ends of that spectrum. They sure did. Two-shot victory, Paige. You've played in team competitions. <laughs> what makes a good team, a good duo? Yeah. Well, what's interesting is, like, it's very easy to see two players that are similar and that that would work. But that's not always the case. And I think back to, to one of the most successful teams that I've witnessed, and that's Lexi Thompson and Christy Kerr, and they're not alike. Their games are quite different, in fact. Um, but they are one of the most successful women's teams that we've ever seen. They're 9-1-2 and two in Solheim Cup and International Crown. They've lost one match in 12, which is pretty extraordinary. But I think they draft differently. I think Christy Kerr is such an alpha personality and leader that it helps give Lexi confidence to play the game that she is capable of playing. So it's interesting because you, you do see different dynamics in team structures. One of the other teams that stood out to me this weekend was that Billy Horschel and Sam Burns partnership that we've seen. Um, it's now the second time that they've partnered together. And I got a kick out of this. Billy Horschel kind of taunting his teammates saying I've got four birdies you've got three <laughs> and there's an internal competition and, and we've seen that with, with Jordan Spieth and, and Patrick Reed where they they joked about um, or Patrick Reed joked about the fact that they were a little bit competitive in their duo as well so I think there's different dynamics in play that make good partnerships and you really don't know until you match them up how they could mash mesh I think Paige is right here Damon you there are several criteria, I think, that go into making a great team. And sometimes they don't always apply to every team. You could take the intimidation value. I mean, Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer won four World Cups together back in the 1960s. They were also unbeaten in Ryder Cup play. And they won a PGA Championship team event three times as well. Uh, you know, there, there was no one alpha in that group. Mm. But if you look at perhaps one of the most successful, if not the most successful, Ryder Cup, partnership of all time, Seve Ballesteros and Jose Maria Olathabal, that was an alpha partnership mm. there. Seve was the guy who was just venomously competitive with a chip on his shoulder. Those guys <laughs> played 15 Ryder Cup matches. They only ever lost two of them. And again, they were undefeated in alternate shot play. And Seve's not exactly the easiest guy to partner with. So <laughs> it's, to me, that's a, a different dynamic. It's very similar, I suppose, to the dynamic that Paige just described between Christy Kerr and Lexi Thompson. And then sometimes it is a personality one. I would liken the Cantley-Shoffley partnership to Davis Love and Freddie Couples, mm. who won the World Cup four straight years in a row and went, I think, 5-2-1 and one in the President's Cup as well. So, so much goes into it, and it doesn't necessarily apply equally to every partnership. I'm glad you brought up Jack and Arnie, two alpha males who paired so wonderfully together. 2004, you had the exact opposite situation. The modern-day Jack and Arnie, if you will, mm. Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson, who paired horribly at the Ryder Cup at Oakland Hills for Hal Sutton, who wanted to put these two Brahma Bulls together and see what happens. He said, I'm a sportsman just like y'all. I want to see this. And what we saw was icy body language between Tiger and Phil, specifically on 18 when Phil drove it toward the fence. And, and Tiger gave him nothing, not a pat on the back, not a, it's okay, bro, we're going to find a way out of this. Then they went back out in the afternoon and lost again. So that was an experiment where the, the pairing of two alpha males 
did not work. Well, it really didn't work, and I think it's intimidated every Ryder Cup captain <laughs> since then because, you know, we could have put a, a Bryson Brooks pairing together mm. last year, but Steve Stricker stayed well away from that one. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think, Paige? Uh, things that haven't worked. You mentioned the, the great partnership between Lexi and Christy Kerr. You know, what are the personality traits that maybe don't go so well together? You know, it's interesting you mentioned the word personality because it has a lot to do with it. In fact, Julie Inkster implemented personality tests, and I know it's been common amongst both sides on the United States, for sure, on, on both the men's and the women's, to do personality tests to figure out what fits together. Uh, when it comes to decision-making, when it comes to playing which ball, when it comes to certain things as it relates to strategy on a golf course, you you do need personalities to mesh. You do need someone to acquiesce and someone to maybe take the role. Or if you have two personalities that are more into compromise, then maybe that will work well. So it is interesting that that becomes such an ingredient. More than just statistics, it does come down to sometimes who the personalities are. It's a great point, Paul Azinger, 2008 Ryder Cup, finding mm -hmm. those green light personalities, yellow light and red light, and, of course, beating Europe back in 2008. And the pod system sometimes works, doesn't it? Yeah, sometimes it does. Well, on Sunday, NASA did what NASA is supposed to do, deliver a rocket-fueled performance. NASA Hataoka entered the final round at Wilshire Country Club, leading by four, stepped on the gas. Ethan Nichols joins us next to talk about that, and also a shockingly rare misstep by Jin Young Ko. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. This season, don't just bet, live your bet life. And Wind Grips, the best grips in golf. And Bushnell Golf and the New Wingman, crank up your game. And by introducing the Cobra King Forge Tech Irons, a better player's iron. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Final round highlights. LPGA out in Los Angeles. NASA Hatooka par four first birdie putt from distance, Eamon. And this is how you want to start when you already have a four-stroke cushion. Yes, build it. Gets the 12 under at that point. She was not done. Par three, fourth. Her tee shot, just everything just seemed to be in perfect form she hits this one to five feet makes another birdie gets it's the go golf course Amen. 13 under I mean, this is not easy what we're seeing so she birdies one she birdies four now this is another long birdie putt at five 
You find a golf course different from everyone else, Damon. Makes this one too. Gets to 14 under. So she birdies three of her first five holes. She did drop a shot at the sixth, but now she's back in business at the par three seventh. You want to know how to make a recovery? A bounce back, Damon? <laughs> this is how you do it. Just a gorgeous tee shot. We go on to make that putt. Got to 14 under. And not done yet. You know, you're thinking maybe I'll try to two-putt for birdie here at the par 5, 15. She had other ideas. This effectively ended the tournament. Eagle to get the 16 under on a six-stroke lead. Yeah, you saw Hannah Green from Australia in the foreground. Not much she could do. NASA gets the 16 under, six-shot cushion. Going into the final hole, she would tap in for bogey. Four under, 67 on the day. The dousing from the... Water bottles, her sixth LPGA Tour victory. LPGA, of course, stays in Los Angeles this week down in Palos Verdes. Final round, 67 good for a five-shot victory. It's interesting, guys. After her win, she met with the media. She was asked about how she bounced back from the miscut at the Lotte Championship. And she said she drew inspiration from Jordan Spieth. He missed the cut at the Masters and say, hey, listen, so Jordan misses the cut, then he won the Heritage, so you never know what's going to happen in golf, so I think that was something that boosted my confidence, so she missed the cut, the low take, and goes on and wins in Los Angeles, so for more, we're joined by our friend Golf Week senior writer, Beth Ann Nichols, always great to see you, so she said something clicked for her on Friday, Beth Ann, what do you think it was? Well, I asked her specifically, <laughs> she said that <laughs> You know, she actually spent about an hour and a half on a video chat with a coach in Japan earlier in the week before the tournament started, and they worked on ball position. And in during on the seventh hole on Friday, she she got a little bit closer to the ball. So she had been working on moving the ball position more toward her left foot, and then she just got a little bit closer and and rattled off three straight birdies, <laughs> starting on the seventh hole on Friday and made 15 birdies total and an eagle after that. So... You know, it, she didn't see this coming, I don't think. Uh, but, it, you know, obviously, she got a lot of confidence in her ball striking from, from that small move. And then, and then her putting was just phenomenal. Beth Ann, we love to have this debate in golf about the best players never to win a major. And I know NASA has won a tournament on the Japan LPGA Tour twice that is considered a major the first time when she was 17 years old. Are we ready to hang that burden on her right now and say that she's the best player in the women's game without a major? I know. It's kind of like a compliment, but not really, right? <laughs> yes, I, I definitely think she owns that title, even though Jessica Corda has the same number of victories and that's six without a major. The two of them share that distinction of the most titles without a victory on, a major victory on the LPGA. And, you know, the thing about NASA is she's, she's lost twice in a playoff at, at, a, at a major championship, of course, most recently last year at the U.S. Women's Open at Olympic Club. So she's been so close, and, and she was asked about that as well yesterday. And, and she says, you know, it, she thinks it really comes down to her short game. If her short game was just a little bit better, she'd already have one. So, you know, even though Jessica Corda has six titles, she's 29, and, and NASA's only 23. So that six-year gap in LPGA years is, is like a dozen in terms of the lifespan of a, of a player. So I, I definitely think that, that NASA has that title at the minute. All right, NASA, one of the best players in the game. Jin Young-Ko is the best player in the game. How do you think she'll respond to what happened to her over the weekend, her first quad ever at an LPGA event? 
uh, shocking meltdown it was in, in that Branca. I mean, you know, I think I think for Jin Young, look, I'm going to give her a lot of credit mentally because she's one of the toughest mentally on tour without question. And, and she bounced back and birdied the 18th hole after she made this terrible eight. But this all came down to just poor decision-making. And so I, I think she definitely is going to She's already, I'm sure, had powwows with her team, but she can't overanalyze this. This was just one hole. She has a tremendous caddy in Dave Brooker. I'm sure he's given her a lot of perspective on this. And and she's, I think, this works to her advantage going into a new golf course this week in Palos Verde. She's never played in an LPGA event there before, and I think that'll actually do her some good because there's a lot of new stuff to learn and, and focus on and to kind of put this in the rearview mirror. So I, I don't think Jen Young will spend too much time thinking about this, and I wasn't at all surprised that she was deflated on Sunday. You know, who wouldn't be? Beth Ann, you mentioned this week's stop on the LPGA Tour. The players don't have to travel very far, though it could still take a while to get there in <laughs> L.A. traffic. So down in Palos Verdes, new golf course, new tournament, what do we need to know about it? Well, the beauty of this event is that there's so much history, 25 years of history, in fact, of one of the best collegiate events in the United States. So Ohio State has hosted the Northrop Grumman Regional Challenge for years, and there are a lot of players in the field who have hoisted a trophy here before. You know, you look at Bronte Law, Leona McGuire, Annie Park, Carlotta Saganda have all won, and Lilia Vu, who just finished in the top 10 this past week at Wilshire for her second top 10 of the season. So... I think a lot of players will be really, really good coming in. And normally they play that event in February and the weather can be brutal. So I'm sure they're all excited to be here in May where it should be a lot nicer this time around. And 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 it's it's a special week for Lizette Salas. Her her longtime instructor, Jim Gormley, is is the director of golf at Palace Friday. So a uh, huge connection there for her. And then from the uh, things you'd like to forget file, <laughs> Jennifer Cupcho actually suffered a concussion at this event five years ago. She fell off a golf cart, and it and it really you know was a traumatic thing. And and so she was on a shuttle ride and and got tangled up with her pull cart with a spectator and and hit her head on the sidewalk. So I do think though that winning a major very recently will will help erase any bad vibes she might have coming back. <laughs> Beth Ann Nichols with all the storylines from the Palace Verdes Championship. Great to spend some time with you. Enjoy your Monday. We will talk to you soon. Thank you. Always a pleasure. All right, Beth Ann Nichols of Golf Week Magazine. A closer look at the career by of Nasa Hatoka, latest winner on the LPGA, her sixth career win. By the way, she's got like two wins by six and now a win by five. So when she's playing well, she absolutely runs away from the field twice major championship runner-up, six-time winner on the Japanese LPGA Tour, four Japanese majors, and named after the American Space Program. We welcome back our own Paige McKenzie. Lots to unpack here. I mean, this was an absolute drubbing by Nasa Hataoka. What stood out to you? Uh, her. Hmm. She stood out to me. Uh, I've I followed her for a long time on the LPGA Tour, and I remember actually the first major championship playoff loss at KPMG, and I remember talking to her caddy at the time, Dana DeRue, and she was only 19 years old, and he was just glowing um, about who she was as a player. He said she's got guts, she's got determination, she's got the mental side. He's like, I've been out here a long time, I've seen a lot of great champions, but there's something about not only the physical gifts that she's got, but the mental side. And the same is true of Greg Johnston. I talked to him last year, 
uh, her current caddy, and he said the same thing. She's focused in anything she does, and he can't believe it based on her young age. So it's one of those where you've got an incredible talent and you've got the mental side to go with it. And she's had that for a very long time on the LPGA Tour. I'm just excited to see how good she can get. Uh, when she was playing that back nine and the way that she was swinging the golf club, you're wondering, how can she ever hit it offline? There's just an efficiency about how she plays, and it really showed uh, this week. Well, Paige, someone who's shown a lot of ruthless efficiency on the LPGA Tour over the last couple <laughs> of years, Jin Young Ko, this is the... First time since last June, she's had consecutive finishes outside the top 10 on the LPGA Tour. You have to go back 14 events before that's happened. And her 75 was the worst round she played since the Evian last July. Is it just rust? Is it an anomaly? Is there anything to worry about here? I mean, I'll go back to that seven, or the, the, the final hole on Saturday, and, and you just have to think, what happened? Uh, Jin Young Ko is one of the best that we've ever seen at bogey avoidance. She's one of the best at making smart decisions. She hits so many greens in regulation. And when you think about this, yes, it means you're a good ball striker, but it also means you know where to hit it, that you're not short-sighting yourself. You're not getting too aggressive, even though you are one of the best. This was such a bizarre sequence of events because she is such a smart and high IQ golfer. So I'm going to write this off, and I'll, I'll let Beth Ann, I'll use her terminology, and said she was a little bit deflated on Sunday considering what happened to how she ended her round on Saturday. But that was such an anomaly. I think Jin, Jin Young Ko is not going anywhere because of the stability of which she typically plays. It was just a very odd weekend in L.A. Great point, Paige. I love what uh, Morgan Pressel said on the broadcast that she talked to the caddy, Dave Brooker, who said she doesn't hit it poorly. Like, we've never been in that kind of <laughs> spot before, so she's maybe a little bit surprised in terms of how to play out of the Barranca. I can tell you, as an L.A. native, not a place to be. Yeah, Dave Brooker needs the caddy for you and I, Dave. He's going to be <laughs> yeah. a lot more familiar with that kind of scenario. Absolutely. Much more from Paige in just a little bit, folks. Let's see who's in the race to the CME Globe. It's early at this point, but still... You want to put yourself in position to be in Naples come end of the year. Danielle Kang, hot start to her 2022. Celine Boutier, fantastic week in Los Angeles. See Ataya Titikun, Jennifer Cupcho, winners already this season. All right, folks, great story this week from the Zurich as father-son duo Jay and Bill Haas played into the weekend down in NOLA. More on their historic made cut when Golf Today returns. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. 
Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. How about stories to feel good about on this Golf Today Monday? One of the best father and son duo. I think we'll call them golf royalty. Eamon, talk about Jay Haas and son Bill. They made the cut at the Zurich Classic. Jay Haas is 68 years young. This was Bill on Saturday from the straw on the fifth hole. This was best ball, so it wasn't as though Pops put him in there to begin with. <laughs> it's a great point. So fun to see Jay Haas with his son, the moments they've had throughout each of their careers, including the President's Cup back in 2015. But this was just neat to see the smiles. And, you know, we always say the golf ball doesn't know how old you are. No, it doesn't. Jay Haas at 68. He made his first cut on the PGA Tour in 1973. One man in the field was right. alive when Jay Haas made his first cut on tour. Absolutely. And this has been a family affair. Really think about Jay's brother, or I should say Bill's brother, Jay Jr., who plays golf and has caddied at times for both his father and his brother. And what a neat moment for them to share. In fact, when Jay made that five-foot putt on 18 to get into the weekend on Friday, he said it was the most nervous he had ever been standing over a putt and you think about the bio 799 career PGA Tour starts the nine wins we mentioned it the oldest player to make a cut in PGA Tour history it was Sam Snead at 67 years old two months and 23 days back in 1979 only one player as you mentioned was born when Jay made his first PGA Tour cut afterwards father and son spoke to Amanda Renner it's been a fantastic week um, you know Exceeded expectations. Um, we just had a lot of fun. We also grinded. It was uh, certainly not comfortable at times because we're just wanted to do, want to. We want to do well. You know, we're not just coming out here just for uh, just for the show of it. So um, to have some success and uh, make the cut, play the weekend, um, an alternate shot like today. Even even though we're by ourselves first out, you still get those feelings of not wanting to hit a poor shot for your partner or for your dad. <laughs> and uh, and so it was a mix of emotions. But uh, just you know, to be able to do what we're doing and see how good he still is, uh, and I know that, but just under the gun and watch it, it's um, it's motivation. You know, when I when I struggle, I can be like, well, I got 30 more years if I want to, you know, hang and be like him. So. That's right. 799th start. You made some crazy headlines this week. What is the most memorable part of this week, and are you shocked by the amount of support I'm sure you've received? A, a little surprised, yes, <laughs> yeah. but I think the – uh, I, I can't say one specific thing was better than anything else. The entire week was great. The, all the other players uh, giving me attaboys and pops and all this stuff. It was fun to be on the range with the best players in the world, watching them, learning from them as well. I feel like I can still learn. I might not could put it to use, but I can still try to learn. And just being with Bill, it, just nothing like it. As any parent can attest to, Watching your kids do something they love to do and do it well, it just doesn't get much better. Yeah, Jay Haas, last one on the PGA Tour in 1993, last one on the PGA Tour champions in 2016. How cool is this story? It really is good. I mean, it's 17 years since he first won on the PGA yeah. Tour champions as well. It was a really interesting line he had in there where he said he can still learn at 68. Mm. And I saw a, a great social media post the other day from Bill Harmon, brother of Butch, who's a great teacher in his own right in California. He caddied for Jay Haas for 10 years. 
on the PGA Tour and he said Jay Haas was always looking for something to approve on the next day. He said even if they were going to miss the cut and they were clearly missing the cut on Friday, Jay would turn to him and said, I, I, I got something, I got a feel from that last wedge shot mm. I just hit. And it's that kind of diligence and application and just simply enjoying the game as much as he does that has Jay Haas here at 68. I wouldn't necessarily agree with giving him the all-time cut record Over that Sam, Sam Snead no. has. I mean, and Jay himself said <laughs> yeah. last week that he wouldn't claim that record. Sam's was in individual competition rather than team competition. But it's not as though the kid carried the old man yeah, here this week. Jay he Haas well. held his own. And it's been a struggle the last few years for, for Bill Haas. So what a neat moment that he could share with his dad. And I can't help but think about 2015 in the President's Cup in South Korea where Jay Haas was the captain and Bill got the decisive point in a one-up victory over South Korea's saying Moon Bay and, and, and father and son sharing that moment and hugging. And I remember just being nervous. I was nervous for Jay and I was nervous for Bill trying to bring that win home. And that's exactly what he was able to do. It really was a great moment then and a great moment this week. You know, there aren't many kind of dynasties in, mm. in golf and particularly in American golf. But this is one of them. You know, it, it stretches back generations here and probably generations to go in the future as well. But it, to me, it's, he is called the pro's pro for a reason. Yeah. You don't find anyone in this game who's got something negative to say about Jay Haas. And the fact that he was getting all of the high fives and pops, as he said, in the locker room there from the players shows the amount of respect that exists for him and his willingness to go out there, even in a team event, yeah. and not with the fear, as he admitted earlier in the week, he had a fear that the course was too long for him. Right. He, he didn't have it. He was going to embarrass himself. He did nothing of the kind. And hopefully a bounce for Bill as he goes forward in his PGA Tour career as well. How about some highlights from the DP World Tour? In case you missed it, over the weekend, the ISPS had a championship in Spain. Adrian Otega, leader, heading into the final round. Par for third, his second. He hits this close for birdie. Gets to 12 under par. But here comes a challenger. Yeah, Pablo Larathabal, par three, seventh hole. Tee shot from 159 yards. And this is pretty much a kick in. Gets him to nine under, still three back. Yeah, he still has a lot of work to do. Love seeing those blue skies over in Spain. So this is now the birdie putt. Right to lefter. Drains it, 10 under par, but still, Damon, three yeah. back. Still with work to do, but he birdied 10, 11, and 12, and now the par four, 13th, second from middle of the fairway. Well, when you birdie 10, 11, 12, 13, knock it close, 14 under par, yeah. solo lead. On a heater now. He bogeyed 15, so he cooled off at the par five, 16th from distance birdie putt. This gets him back to 14 under par. Birdie. 18 to finish at 15 under for the tournament, but Otegi still has a chance. His second from the fair. He needs an eagle to force a playoff. First part of that is hitting the green, and he does that. Okay, step one, check. Now step two, or maybe we'll call it step three, to force the playoff. Don't leave it short, kid. Mm. Just kind of Wobble wiggles, up. yeah, a little to the right side. What a couple of months it's been for Pablo Larathobble. He is your winner. Hugs all around. Big time smiles. Always special to win on home soil. And what a back night he had. A final round 62 as we hear from the champ. Tell you what. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been a long time, man. Uh, you know, it's, 
it's been it's been tough. Um, the last um, the last three years, the last um, maybe five years, six years. Uh, I know I had a I had a win uh, three years ago, but but you know when um, uh, when your golf is not there and uh, and then injuries and uh, and then you know that uh, these twenty year old kids are coming in and they flying the ball 50, 60 yards over you over yours and. You're not putting well. You're not chipping well. You think you, you know. Uh, there are a lot of things coming coming in, in into 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 my mind. Uh, I thought about uh, about not playing anymore a lot, a lot. And uh, and you know sometimes uh, if you believe and you keep working hard, uh, you know life's life gives you back. Uh, and um, and yeah, it's it's been. It's been a long road, and uh, I'm not gonna say anything, you know, to me. But uh, I think, you know, for the trust and for the work I did, and and for the patience, uh, I think I, I really deserve it. Indeed, five years of tough times. He says lots of reflection, wondering where he stood in the game compared to the 20-somethings. You see now a seven-time winner on the DP World Tour, a couple wins this season. Had seen his golf mortality but finding his way to the winner's circle two times now in 2022. Definitely a story to feel good about. Folks, Patrick Cantley, another story to feel good about, entered the winner's circle again. PGA Tour with his buddy, Xander Shoffley. More on Patrick's road to success later in this very show. Today, brought to you by PointsBet. Welcome back into Golf Today. I'm Eamon Lynch alongside Damon Hack. And Damon, you seem to be the only Southern California golfer who didn't get a trophy this weekend. <laughs> How about that? Good for Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley. You know, both been kind of knocking on the door this season. Cantlay had a couple of losses in playoffs. Shoffley hasn't won since that Olympic gold medal hadn't won on the PGA Tour since 2019 it's hard to to win out there I, I think that winning a PGA Tour event is extremely special do you count it as a half win or a win it's a win no, no official world golf ranking points but it perhaps could be confidence I'm giving it a full win so does uh, the history books are you giving it a full win I think I am because the the, the impact of it is the yeah. same as winning I think an individual tournament for a lot of these guys it's a lot of psychological confidence and a bit of jet fuel that they're going to take mm. forward into the rest of the season we've seen it happen with other winners here absolutely never know what might happen speaking of winning time now for winning moments presented by win grips Patrick Cantlay and Xander softly winning the Zurich Classic of New Orleans tournament record 29 under 259 becoming the first team to win the event in wire-to-wire -wire fashion. Cantley collects his seventh PGA Tour victory. Shoffley picks up number five and first since 2019. And we've talked about it quite a bit. A lot of similarities between these two sons of Southern California strokes gained total last year and this year. Both very similar. Some runner-ups actually three between them over the last couple of years six in total and maybe a little more winning done by Patrick Cantlay of late 
And after a steady climb through the world rankings, Patrick Canley has now reached the upper echelon of the game. Four-time winner last season and the reigning PGA Tour Player of the Year. But if you ask him, all that success is just a byproduct of his process, full of methods that have helped him overcome obstacles and heartbreak while finding himself along the way. Ryan Lavner has the story. It's not always an easy, predestined path to success. Patrick Cantley, one of the most amazing performances we've ever seen. Every experience, especially impactful experiences, shape you daily. Unflappable attitude and steady demeanor. There's no give up in this guy. What a meteoric rise. This guy is suddenly a superstar. Life is not golf, and golf is not life. With low scores and high praise, golf seemingly came easy to Patrick Cantlay, to the point that it motivated his peers. Patrick Cantlay and I, when we're playing golf, are almost two different people. You won't be able to know what he's thinking at all. I'm trying to be a little more towards him. He was dominating as a freshman in, in college, and then as a sophomore in college, he was beating the Spieths and the Thomases. He was that guy before those guys. While at UCLA, Cantley spent a then-record 55 weeks as the top-ranked amateur in the world. He also dazzled at the next level, earning low amateur honors at the 2011 U.S. Open. Please recognize Patrick Cantley. I got to caddy for him at Congressional. I always knew that he was going to be a tour player, and I also knew that he was going to be a great player. The next week, Cantley fired a 60 at the Travelers Championship this time with his best friend, Chris Roth, on the back. 19-year-olds are supposed to be studying history. They're not supposed to be making it. That was ridiculous. The way he's going right now, it's pretty special. You realize how big that grin is on your face? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cantley turned pro in 2012 to outsize expectations. But before long, his linear path to success was derailed. In 2013, while warming up on the range, he felt a stabbing pain in his back. Later, he was diagnosed with a stress fracture in his L5 vertebrae, the beginning of a maddening and methodical recovery. I definitely saw a, a number of people to try and help me, physical therapists and doctors, chiropractors, and I got told that I needed to take a year off after already having been out close to two years. and. That really floored me. Already reeling, he soon endured unimaginable trauma. In February 2016, Cantley was out in Newport Beach with his friend Chris Roth. New information out of Newport Beach where police released the name of a man killed in the hit and run. Police say Nancy Flores hit Christopher Roth with her car as he was crossing the street and kept going. Cantley rushed to his friend's aid and called 911, but it was too late. Roth was pronounced dead at the hospital. He was just 24 years old. It affected me demonstrably. You know, at the time, no real like, bad things had happened in my life. This was the first real monumental sadness I had ever felt. 
after he said, what am I gonna do with this? And I said, you're not gonna do anything with this. It's never gonna go away. Those things are permanent. You can't change them. You know, I was definitely depressed. I felt as though nothing mattered. I realized that that way of thinking was not helpful. I had a whiteboard with eight things that I had to do every day. They would be very little things. And every day I'd check off on the whiteboard. One of them may have been go to physical therapy. But that process of checking off the items on the list, even though I wasn't doing a lot, I was making steps in the right direction every day. And, and that really helped me. We had many a, a conversation on whether he wanted to keep playing. He had talked with Chris's family about this is what he would want you to do. Recovering physically and healing emotionally, Cantley returned to the PGA Tour in early 2017. Needing only two starts to secure his card, he closed out his comeback year with his first tour victory. Once a can't-miss kid, now he's a winner on the PGA Tour. And there's only two things that happen when you go through a rough time. Either it sets you back forever or you persevere and you're better because of it. He's definitely done the second one. These days, Cantley is known more for his efficient, unflinching style of play rather than his inspiring backstory. In 2021, he ascended to new heights. FedEx Cup champion. What an achievement. Earning PJ Tour Player of the Year honors and starring in his Ryder Cup debut. Yes, sir, he figured it out. Look at Cantley. Now it's, he's getting the crowd wild up. It's that Patrick Cantley? Yeah. There was no leap. All of the tweaks I made were standard tweaks that I would make in a normal year, nothing crazy different. When you're in the moment and you're down the stretch of winning a golf tournament, nothing else matters. Golf is so great at getting you to focus on the present. Cantley the winner. On the golf course, in life, when you start feeling more comfortable in uncomfortable situations, then you can break out and you can get to that next level. And that's what Patrick has done. To access that next level, Cantlay will rely on the same values that once appeared on his whiteboard. Process, purpose, patience. That's what has guided him through the setbacks and the grief. And now, through the resounding success. Staying process-oriented helps. There are things that are much more important than golf. Having the right perspective can help you navigate the highs and lows. It's never as easy as it seems sometimes, and it's never as difficult as it can feel. If you are cognizant of that and work hard every day, even on eight little things on a whiteboard, over time, you can achieve really big, great things. That efficient play, as Ryan Labner called it, has Patrick Cantlay as the winningest golfer on the PGA Tour since October of 2020. Not John Rahm, not Justin Thomas, not Rory, not Hideki Matsuyama. It is Patrick Cantlay, last year's Player of the Year on the PGA Tour, who I think in some ways, Eamon, continues to go a little bit underappreciated or under the radar. Obviously, his personality is not loud and excessive, and he's not a me-me type of person. But what do you make of not just his latest win, but kind of where he sits in the game? I think that piece that Ryan Lavner did gives you a real understanding of not just who Patrick Cantley is, but why he wins in the manner 
that he wins, which is entirely unflappable. He had a great line in there. He said, golf is not life and life is not golf. Mm. And there are a lot of people, particularly early-ish in their career, like Patrick Cantley, who haven't got that kind of perspective. That's perspective that's really hard-earned sometimes and particularly hard-earned in Patrick Cantley's case because, as we saw, he was at a point in life where he couldn't play with his injuries and then was at a point in life where he didn't know if he wanted to play yeah. after the death of Chris Roth. So where he's gotten to now is, I think, a testament to, to fortitude and determination. So the, the personality may not be the loudest, most boisterous, uh, but the, the determination can hold its own with anybody out there on tour. So he'd never had his heart broken the way he did until his friend Chris died a few years ago. We're going to bring in Paige McKenzie once again on this Monday. We've talked about Patrick Cantley a lot through the years. Paige, what do you make of kind of where he sits in the game right now and kind of the way he goes about his business, much more methodical, not very showy week to week on the PGA Tour? I think he's very authentic to who he is and he knows who he is. I think when you go through something, um, I mean, several things, obviously, a personal tragedy as well as personal injury, um, you learn a lot about yourself, and he's clearly comfortable in his own skin. I think he's vastly underrated. I think if, if the injury had happened after he had started to make a name for himself on the professional level, then we would have paid a lot more attention to the climb to get to this point in his career. I, I very vividly remember hearing about him as an amateur. I knew the trajectory that he was on. Um, so I've always kind of paid attention to coming back from that injury. In fact, it was very similar um, to the same back injury that I went through. So I admire just the will to get through three years of taking off from this game and wanting to come back and having the ability to come back at the level that he has. Uh, I'm sure that there's a management in whatever he has to do physically to stay and maintain in the best shape that he can. So I, I think, though, that whole story of him coming back has been very, very underrated from just an inspirational story of somebody overcoming physical injury uh, to get back to the to the best player in the world, one of the best players in the world. Yeah, one of the greatest amateur careers. 109 weeks is the number one ranked amateur in the world. He, he details the, the heartbreak, losing a friend, also the back injury. I think in some ways his biography, maybe in, in many ways, will be the key to him having a fantastic career, potentially maybe one day a Hall of Fame career. When you're talking about a player who wants to win major championships and really hasn't been in the maw of a major championship Sunday, I think his backstory would put him in great stead to handle almost anything that is thrown his way. And if we're talking about a guy who's ranked number five in the world and has seven PGA Tour wins, and we're talking repeatedly about how he's underrated and not fully appreciated, that really ought to scare a lot of the folks mm. who are out there now <laughs> who are in competition against him every week. Paige, I always appreciate your insights. Look forward to seeing you again tomorrow. And now here's Likewise. a time Thanks, guys. for a look at the Comcast Business Tour Top 10. The reason this matters, everyone who's finished in the Comcast Business Tour Top 10 since 2009 has made it to the Tour Championship. And Patrick Cantley is in there at number four, up from ninth place last week. Everybody's smiling on, on that picture. And why not, Eamon, huh? They're all going to collect a nice <laughs> check at the end of that one. Well, the qualifying process has been a hallmark for the U.S. Open for more than a century. Local qualifying takes place at 109 sites nationwide over the next month, and it gets underway today. Perhaps the winner of the next Open Championship is one of the thousands pulling on their spikes today. We'll talk about it next. Golf Central Update. 
Brought to you by Callaway Golf. Oh, it's that time of year again. The road to Brookline begins today with the start of local qualifying for the 2022 U.S. Open. Four local qualifiers are expected to be held today. Coral Ridge Country Club in Fort Lauderdale, Marietta Country Club in Kennesaw, Georgia, Fox Den Country Club in Knoxville, Tennessee, and Gold Mountain Golf Club in Bremerton, Washington. 122nd U.S. Open will be held at the Country Club in Boston suburb of Brookline, Mass, June 16th through the 19th. Now, here's at work. 109 sites across the U.S. and Canada, April 25th through May 23rd. 18-hole qualifiers. Final qualifying, 11 sites, May 23rd and June 6th. 36-hole qualifiers. All about the dreams and the stories. And how about this story? Familiar name at one of the local qualifying sites today, Julius Burroughs grandson of the 1963 U.S. Open champ Julius Burroughs teed it up at Coral Springs, Florida today looking to make it to Brookline. Now why is this special? Julius shares the same name as the grandfather who defeated Arnold Palmer and Jackie Cupid back in 1963 for a second of three major victories. So young Julius trying to go to the place where his grandfather won. This is a special time of your, I get goosebumps just thinking about the storylines, the, maybe the, the part-time player who is an amateur trying to find his way into the national championship. What strikes you about this time of year, the qualifying? To me, it's, it's a real sign of a, a very democratic approach to major championship golf. Obviously, the Masters does it its way with the, the invitational criteria. The U.S. Open, you know, the USGA got mocked in some quarters of social media a couple of years ago for the from many one yeah, marketing yeah, campaign yeah. but that actually is the reality uh, of the u.s open and all you do need is a set of clubs and a dream i mean qualifiers do win yeah. this championship you go back to michael campbell lucas glover jerry pate uh you know steve jones those mm. are guys just in the last 40 years yeah who've won this julius boros whose grandson is in that qualifier today julius boros was a qualifier when he won in 1963 and two qualifiers have actually won from all the way back in local qualifying and then final qualifying. The last one was Orville Moody in 1969. Before that, Ken Venturi, one of the great open stories for, for so long. Ken Venturi started in local qualifying and made his way there. Yeah, and he won, of course, the U.S. Open in 1964 at Congressional. I think about these steps that the players have to, to make. And I remember last year we did something called Golf's Longest Day. And after Andy Pope qualified for the fifth time, he came into our Golf Channel studios. I took a picture with him and he held up the five. I didn't realize at the time, I thought he was just waving to the camera. He held up the five because it was his fifth time through qualifying into the national championship. Justin Suh, you know, hot shot kid going through qualifying. Cameron Young from New York going through qualifying. Grayson Sig in tears after making it through qualifying. We can talk about the big hitters on the PGA Tour. This is where the dreams happen. They made movies about qualifying. You think of Tin Cup. I mean, I just love how long shot the chances are for someone to go through qualifying. But as you mentioned, it can happen. But to me, it's, it's about the dream. The dream is almost as important to me as whether you make it through qualifying or not. Yeah, and certainly if you make it through local qualifying into final qualifying, then you're on the same footing as some of the biggest stars in this game. There are two deadlines coming up where if you are in the top 60 in the official World Golf rankings, on either of those dates, you will be exempt into the open field. The first one's May 23rd. 
The second one is June 6th. And there are some big mm. names who are not currently in that top 60 in the world rankings. Bubba Watson is not in that mm. field. But Ian Poulter. Ricky guys, Fowler. Ricky Fowler again. He's going to have to start to head for, for qualifiers somewhere to play his way in from final qualifying. So it's by no means reputation alone. Historic stature doesn't get you into the US Open. Mm. You, you basically earn your spot in the field. Doesn't it tell you how hard it is also to, to, to win? I mean, think about it. You mentioned Lucas Glover. I covered his US Open win for Sports Illustrated back in 2009, finished on a Monday at Bethpage Black. The fact that he went through qualifying and ends up winning the national championship, it tells me that, A, it's hard to get into the national championship and qualify, but, B, there's just talent from all over the country, whether you're a former PGA Tour winner or someone who has never done it before at the highest level, but may find his way to the national championship. Yeah, I mean, you could be struggling all year long, but if you get hot for 36 holes on a wet Monday in yeah. Columbus, Ohio, suddenly you can find yourself teeing it up next to the greatest players in the world. Yeah, one of the great stories we love coming at Golf Channel, the race to the U.S. Open. Can't wait to see who qualifies. Speaking of the USGA, there was a fantastic event over the weekend. U.S. Women's four ball. Yes, the amateur four ball. Puerto Rico was the site. Grand Reserve Golf Club gets Sarah M on the par four first. I mean, we're seeing so much talent in the amateur ranks. And that put her one up early. Here's Ianna Hun. On the par four third hole, her second shot. Yeah, it can get very windy in Puerto Rico. Fantastic shot. Conceded birdie. Now on to the fifth hole. This is Bailey Shoemaker. From 20 feet, sinks it, and the lead is only one up. Yeah, winning him, having to hustle ninth hole. This is Tiana Wynn, par four ninth. Little body English sinks it to go three up. Through nine, she thought about the fist bump. It did the hand slap instead. Now, this is Caitlin Schroeder on the par 311th from long distance. Birdie putt. Yeah, absolutely. Schroeder and Shoemaker already in with par. So this is win on the par for 14th. Uh, she, that was the early walk for, for the wrong reasons. Slide by, leads cut to one up. Here's Sarah M on the par 515th, her third. Yeah. Want to take advantage of the par fives. That's exactly what would happen. Sticks it close. Would go on and make the birdie putt go two up through 15. Now Shoemaker on the par three, 16th. Her tee shot trying to control it with that win. I think she does a pretty nice job here. Yep. Almost a one. Oh! Birdie conceded. So they would tie 17 and now him on the par five, 18th. Leaves it short, but it's still good enough to win. A one-up win for win, and M hugs all around. Big time smiles as you see the final bracket. Win and M able to get it done. It was very, very close. They get it done. One up. Let's find out how they did. We've been doing this since 2019, uh, since we were freshmen and middle schoolers. Yeah. And we've been friends before that for a very long time. We played a lot of golf together and we built a lot of trust within our, each other. Like when someone's, you know, not in play, the other one will definitely got it, the other one's back. And that was something that was really important for this entire tournament. 
I think another thing is consistency. Like, we were pretty consistent, I would say, yeah. every round. Like, three, four under, I think, maybe. Yeah. But, um... I definitely think consistency and luck, honestly, a little bit. Ooh, luck is I mean, definitely, luck, is always going to be a factor yeah, in golf. In match play, especially in a team tournament, like four ball, like, that, luck That's is something that you really need to yeah. take into account. Skill, there's skill too, don't worry. But, yeah. <laughs> Would you say this is one of the biggest tournaments you've both won? Oh my gosh, <laughs> absolutely. It's, it's this, like, USGA is the biggest amateur, like, tour. tour like these are one of the biggest tournaments for amateurs out there and honestly winning a usga title that's it still has not kicked in no, that's it it's so surreal deanna and sarah with all the feels lots of reasons to giggle and smile you get that gold medal custody of the trophy for a year 10-year exemption from qualifying the u.s women's amateur four ball exemption for each player to the 2022 u.s women's amateur exemptions into the 2022 U.S. Girls Junior, the Mid-Amateur, the Senior Women's Amateur, if age eligible. Congrats to Sienna Wynn and Sarah M. as well. And also on Sunday, Scotland's Grace Crawford won the RNA Girls Under-16 Amateur Championship at Enville. The 15-year-old making her final appearance in the Girls U-16 Amateur overcame a difficult start on the final day to roll home a 25-foot putt at the par 5 18th and win the 54-hole stroke play championship by four top four players of this event all gained an exemption into the RNA Girls Amateur Championship at Carnoustie in August. And we're just a couple months away from the 2022 Curtis Cup. This year, the competition will be played at historic Marion Golf Club outside Philadelphia. Now, earlier this month, the USGA announced the eight women who will represent Team USA, which includes Stanford's Rachel Heck, and Rose Zhang. And today, the RNA announced the eight women who represent Team Great Britain and Ireland. They include Hannah Darling, who made her debut last year. She also won the RNA Girls Amateur Championship in 2021. Joining Hannah will be Louise Duncan, who finished in a tie for 10th at the AIG Women's Open last year. And Annabelle Fuller will be making her third Curtis Cup appearance this year. Coming up, Greg Norman says he wants to play in the 150th Open at St. Andrews in July. We'll tell you why there's a better chance of old Tom Morris teeing it up for old time's sake when we come back. A Club Corp Classic has a celebrity division, which means Tony Romo often in the mix. Par 317 for birdie, Eamon. He makes it, gets him to 105 points. Yes, the modified Stableford format. So now 18. This is a par putt for the win. Nice. Doesn't quite close us. Finishes Tone. at 106. Uh, okay, that means the door is open for tennis star of yesteryear, Marty Fish, who's been an absolute terror on the celebrity set he makes that birdie putt to force a playoff and look at that smile he's like yeah tony i got you in my sight so romo hits it in the water this is marty's third this is a nice way to put an exclamation point on the tournament really is and jack nicholas said that uh, marty fish has the best celebrity golf swing that he's ever seen like it's it's really one of the best amateur swings he's ever seen and yet another title for marty fish yep hats come off little hug former Cowboys quarterback and Marty Fish wants the best American tennis player 
There you see that tie, but it wasn't a tie, folks. 106, they ended up. Marty Fish able to get it done, and the World Golf Hall of Fame member, Annika Sorenstam, continuing to play a lot of golf. You know, you've got a, a good game as a celebrity if Annika Sorenstam with 10 majors is finishing <laughs> right behind yeah. you. Yes, indeed. Now, so yes, we mentioned this was the celebrity side. How about the professionals? Scotty Perel taps that in. Playoff with Gene Sowers and Stephen Alker. You know, you see a Old Scotty Perel, he'd lost in a few playoffs. Kevin Sutherland got him twice in one season. He'd never won on PJ Tour champions in a playoff, so he got that mini monkey off his back, Amy. One of the great stories on this tour over the last couple of years, Scott Perel. Computer programmer. Went to college at the University of Georgia, but didn't play on the golf team. And he's about as much of a fixture as you can find on top of leaderboards these days. Yes, he is. Very nice man. Actually, had dinner with... Scott Perell and his wife uh, during Masters Week in Augusta, Georgia. Part of a nice group and gathering, and good to see him back in the winner's circle in Irving, Texas, in Las Colinas. You see there, notable Mark Calcavecchia? Yeah. You know what? How about a thousand starts in PGA Tour sanctioned events? 61 year old. I mean, I hope he shared that cake. Uh, that's a big cake, Eamon. I think he seems like a generous guy, Kalk, a good party guy. You'd want to yeah. be at his dinner table. Absolutely, and just a neat moment for him. 1,000 starts in golf. And now he's excited. I'm going to play in the Open, 150th. You know, my last Open was supposed to be two years ago at Royal St. George's. It was canceled because of COVID. Last year, I couldn't play because I had back surgery, so I wrote a long letter in April when I knew I wouldn't be able to play and ask the open committee to consider letting me play at St. Andrews, making my last open. They got right back to me. How about that? And said, let me bring it up to the championship committee. And not even a few weeks later, I've got an email back. Decision by the 25 committee members was unanimous. Yes, we'd love to have Calc play your last open at St. Andrews. We love to take care of our past champions. Speaking of past champions, Greg Norman continues to make headlines. The Australian told News Corp that he set his sights on a return to competition later this summer at the Open Championship. Norman hasn't played a PGA Tour event since 2012, and at 67 years old, he's seven years past the exemption limit for former champions. Here's his quote, I still think I can get in. It's the 150th, I'm a past Open champion. I love St. Andrews. If there's a moment in time that I would consider coming back and teeing off one last time, Maybe this is it. I'm filling out my entry form now. I think I'm going. I think I can get in. Well, someone who doesn't think that, the RNA. Their response is the entry terms and conditions for the Open stipulate that a champion must be aged 60 or under or have won the championship in the previous 10 years to be exempt from qualifying. That remains the case for the 150th Open, and we have no plans for any additional exemptions. Damon, that doesn't sound like uh, a response that would generate much optimism for the shark. I mean, what does it tell you about where he sits right now in the game of golf at large for someone who was number one for 331 weeks, who was a two-time Open champ, 1986-1993, Turnberry and St. George's, someone who has his logo all over the world, uh, who wants to get in, and the RNA says yes to Mark Kalkovecki, and as he noted pretty quickly, a few weeks later, discussion, and that Greg Norman who is launching this rival golf league, cannot get in. I I'm surprised. I guess it tells me that there's no one at this point, maybe even Greg Norman, who is 
breaking this fall. I'm not actually that surprised at all. There were, there were mitigating circumstances with the Kalkovecchi when he had an injury last year, a surgery on his back that prevented him from going to play in, in the Open Championship. That's not the case with Greg Norman. Greg could have played on his 60th mm. year. His last year of exemption was a St. Andrews year in 2015. And I went back and looked, and Greg gave two reasons why he wasn't playing that open. He said, I don't practice and I don't want to take a spot in the field from someone who might be the next Tiger Woods or next Tom Watson. Well, none of that has actually changed at this point. Greg's 13 years removed from having played an open championship, a decade removed from playing any tournament that's, that's serious at all. So there's really no reason why Greg would have any case to make for himself to be at the open, except there are three possible reasons in my mind. One is, is pure petulance. I think he's upset at how much he's been stiff-armed around the world of golf these days. I think there's Greg's unquenchable thirst for publicity. I mean, a man who's got a life-size bust of himself in his garden says and does things like that. And I also suspect that he's trying to create this image that he is somehow being excluded from major championship or somehow being singled out by governing bodies. Because if his rival league ever does get into the courts in some kind of antitrust case, he would want to build an argument for collusion and he would like to be able to present this image that he is being unfairly discriminated against right. within the game of golf. It's not. The rules are very clear. Greg's just choosing to ignore them. Is there a road back for him? You know, everybody loves a comeback story. Forgiveness. I mean, this was someone who, for a time, was the best player in the world and I think arguably compelling television. Good for the game. His stubbornness was part of what made him great. I just wonder if you see any outclaws for him, any way back into the good graces of the game. I'm not sure I do, and I don't think Greg would consider himself as being outside mm. the good graces of the game. I mean, he was fantastic theatre in this game for so long, and, you know, he built a tremendous career out there, but Greg was also motivated by a lot of animus, particularly mm. towards Tim Fincham, the former PGA yeah. Tour commissioner, who he believes stole his World Tour idea right. 30 years ago, when, in fact, Fincham actually bailed him out and helped him save face at the time for anyone who cares to go back and look at the details of that. I, I don't think Greg is looking to get back into anyone yeah. else's good graces. Well, at this point, no clubs in the hands of the great white shark for the 150th Open.